Well, praise God. We've been talking for the last several weeks about what I believe is one of Jesus' favorite topics, something that's close to his heart, because we're talking about the church. Jesus loves the church. He started the church. He commissioned the church. He empowers the church, and he continues to build the church, and he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the reason this is true is because Jesus is committed to the church and its mission. Now, I know that, that the church is not perfect. Our church isn't perfect. That might be news to some of you. Our church isn't perfect. The church down the road isn't perfect. The next town over, it's not perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect church. But Jesus loves the church, and he's committed to the church. And that's true for the Bloomington Vineyard, as it is for every other church in this community and every other church across this land, every other church around the globe. Whether they're wild and raucous or quiet and contemplative whether they've got the smells and the bells with the incense and all of that, whether they've got a band, whether they sing a cappella, doesn't matter. Jesus loves the church. Everywhere where he is worshipped and his word is preached, he loves the church, whether the church is sick and not doing well, or whether it's on fire and being what it should be. He loves the church. It's because the local church is the visible expression of the universal church. Without the local church, the work of the kingdom of God could not be done. There would be no ministry but through the local church, Jesus is touching and transforming and saving lives all over. Jesus is committed to the work of the local church. So we've been talking about various aspects of the church, you know, about the hope that we have as a church, the, the, about our power and our authority. Today the message is going to be, we're going to look at the church as people who love. The church of Jesus is made up of people who love. As you read through the New Testament, you will find no less than 28 times where we are commanded to love. As Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we are told to love God. We're told to love our neighbor. Husbands are told to love their wives and wives are to love their husbands. Believers are to love each other. We're told to love our enemies. The fact is that there's no one that we as believers are excused from loving. No one, period, nada. We're commanded to love all people, especially other believers. Especially other believers. That means you're commanded to love especially the people sitting around you. Turn to somebody next to you and say, I love you. (laughs) 
Oh, Cowboy Jerry. <laughs> yeah, well, I hadn't planned that, but hey, you know. <laughs> anyway, love is the distinct. Love is the distinguishing mark of the church. It's how you know the church. It's what sets the church apart from the rest of the world. Jesus said in John 13, starting in verse 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Not so it would be a good idea, but so you must love one another. And then he says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said it's our love that's going to mark us as his disciples. It's not our faith. It's not how much people like us. It's not our philanthropic endeavors. It's not our preaching. It's not our singing. It's not our position on political issues. It's our love. Love is supreme, but it's one thing to say that. But how do we know it when we see it? What does it look like? What does it look like when a church loves? What, kind of, what, what does this kind of love look like? There are several places we could go to look in Scripture, and I thought about you know several different ones we could look at to... You know, the good picture of, of what it looks like when, when love is in action. You know, we could look at God's sacrificial love in sending His Son, Jesus, to die for our sins. I mean, that's certainly a good model. Sacrificial, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You know, it's a giving love. We could look at that. We could look at the picture of the early church at the end of Acts chapter 2. Look at that sometime. Or you could look at Paul's description in 1 Corinthians 13, of a good, great, really, description of love. And all those, all those pictures are great. All those are good, and we should look at those things. But as I prayed about this, there was another picture, another scripture that came to mind that gives us a good description of what it looks like when an atmosphere of love permeates a church community. It's in Romans 12, and I want to read it. First, I want to go through and, and, and read the, the passage, and then we're going to go through and pick out uh, piece by piece. Probably, when you, I'm sure well, we won't get through the whole thing, but we'll get through at least some of it. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary... 
If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now let's go through and start going through this and just looking at it bit by bit and seeing what it says. Starts with love must be sincere. It's got to be sincere, must be genuine, must be real. Not just lip service, not just, you know, good feelings towards someone. Genuine love comes from the heart and it means business. And it's not love just when or just as long as there's no conflict. It doesn't disappear in the presence of conflict or disagreements. That's how you can tell sincere love. Love that it's sincere overcomes challenges and transcends conflicts. Transcends them. Sincere love. Then it says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Sincere love is love that wants what is good. Not just what is good for me, but what is good for you. What is good for the other person. And it hates what is evil. In other words, what does harm? What is destructive? Not the person, but what is harmful, the evil that is harmful. Let's think about this, because we really need to, 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 to think about this for a while. Our society is telling us that if you hold a different view of what is right or wrong, or what is acceptable or not acceptable than someone else holds, then you're a hater. You're a hater if we disagree. You're a hater if, if we, we don't see things on the same level, and, and, or I'm a hater if I don't agree with you on whatever issue. Society tells us that unless we fully embrace how someone chooses to live their life, then we're phobic. We're a hater. We're phobic. We've become, those words have become so overused and misused in our society. It's like the first thing people go to. If you know, I, have, I see this in a different light. I see this in a different people. You're a hater. You're whatever phobic. You know? You don't like Brussels sprouts? You're Brussels sprout-a-phobic. Now, that may be true for me, but anyway, uh, you know, whatever it is, they become so overused. That's not love. That's nonsense. It's not even logical. Love hates to see someone choose behavior that's destructive. And by destructive behavior, I'm talking about any behavior that falls outside of God's will for us as revealed by His Word. God's Word always has the last word. Always. That's the defining... Uh, uh, what's the word I want? It's, it's the... Um, it, it's the defining what? I'm going blank. You know what I mean. Authority, yes, that's it, exactly, thank you. 
Thank you, Candy. It's the defining authority in our lives. Now, having said all of that, I want to make clear, love does not express itself in a judgmental or condemning manner. And that's where much of the church has gotten it wrong. You know, we said the church isn't perfect, but that's where much of the church has gotten it wrong. It's, it's, it doesn't express itself in a judgmental or condemning manner. It's not argumentative. Rather, it extends love. It extends grace. It extends forgiveness of God to broken and hurting people. Real love recognizes that people are not our enemy. They're not. The principalities and the spiritual forces that shape people's worldviews and influence their actions, that's the enemy. That's the enemy, not the people. It's the spiritual forces behind them that, that, have, that, that have shaped this worldview that surrounds us and that influences actions. Those spiritual forces, those principalities and powers, those are, they are the enemy, not the people. And love recognizes that. Verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Being devoted speaks of genuine affection, brotherly love. It says, honor one another above yourselves. That speaks of how we, act, how we speak and act towards someone. When there's love, it's going to affect how we speak about as well as how we speak to a person. We're not going to do anything that's going to cast shadow on someone that's going to make them look bad. We're not going to judge their motives, but rather we will give the benefit of the doubt instead of ascribing to their motives some sinister or evil intent, harmful intent. We're going to give people the benefit of the doubt. We're going to speak about them honorably and treat them the same way, even when there are differences of opinion or when they might make mistakes or even when they make bad choices. Have you ever made a bad choice? Let's see a show of hands. Hannah, never. (laughs) I honor you in that. Now, it is a bad choice to lie, but um, anyway, (laughs) we honor people even when they make bad choices doesn't mean we agree with the choice. It means we're not going to tear that person down. We're not going to degrade them and denigrate them. We still treat them with honor and respect as one who is made in the image of God. Good proverb to remember. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love that one. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's what love does. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. A community that loves is a community that's full of passion and zeal for the things of God because love stokes the fire of spiritual fervor for the Lord. When you see true spiritual fervor, not just hype, but true spiritual passion and fervor in serving the Lord, you find love in that place. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. An atmosphere of love fosters joy and hope. And that helps you get through when times are tough. 
being a part of a loving community of believers helps you because it lets you know I'm not alone in this. I've got other people around me. I've got other people supporting me. I've got other people um, other, uh, helping me through a tough time. Now, about, what's today, 26, almost two months ago when I had my, I had my heart attack. And I'm in rehab now. I go to rehab every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. And as I go to rehab, you know, I, I, I talk to the people there. And, you know, the rehab nurses come and talk to you. How are you doing with this? How are you doing with that? You know, how's your diet going? How's this going? And I always say, I have the most supportive community around me. I have a family that is fully supportive of, you know, me being healthy. And I have a church community that is fully supportive, you know, always asking me, you know, I, how are you doing? You know, are you doing everything the doctor said? Everything the doctor? Yes, everything the doctor said. I'm doing it. I said, you know, I have that support. So many people do not have that kind of support in life. They either don't have it from their families, they don't have it in a faith community, they don't have that kind of support, but love gives that kind of support. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, that, that, that kind of community, a loving community of believers, it, it lets you know you're not alone in this, you're not struggling by yourself, but you are with other people that are holding you up, holding you accountable, loving you. Think about pandemic. Think about shutdowns. Think about mask mandates. When the rest of society is freaking out and anxiety is going through the roof and anger is boiling over, people are becoming short-tempered, the church whose people are full of love and joy and hope in the midst of all of that stuff stands out as different. And I've got a supportive community that I don't even know about. The whole Apple Watch community, that's the second week in a row that's happened. I've got to figure out how to um, not let that happen. Now, it would be different if Siri, say amen. Siri, can you say amen? Okay, where was I? <laughs> I'm going to have to work on that watch. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't even have the voice activation turned on. That's what gets me. I don't want the voice activation. I don't want it listening to everything I say, but apparently it is. Anyway, anyway, uh, <laughs> Where in the world was I? Um, well, that kind of church that's full of the, the love and the joy and the hope in the midst of all these difficulties, it stands out for all the right reasons. 
not the wrong reasons. It's a community of people that love. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. A community that loves is a community that shares their lives, their homes, their hearts. It shares the wisdom from their Apple Watch. It shares. <laughs> Love will even, share, even motivate you to share your toilet paper in the midst of a toilet paper pandemic, right? Or toilet paper shortage because of a pandemic. Do you remember going into Kroger or going into Sam's Club or going into Walmart and seeing these long, this long row of shelves that should be stocked with 30 different kinds of toilet paper and there's not a single roll to be found? Love shares. When I would see those shelves, I remembered I'd throw a couple of packs, extra packs in my trunk and, and just keep it there. And if I found out somebody that, that would, you know, post on Facebook or whatever, somebody in the church was short on toilet paper, go give them some. You know, it's like, I'm not going to run out. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so much for toilet paper. I mean, it's such a little thing until you run out, right? I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's, it's I, I say that because it's the little things that matter. It really is the little things that matter. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, we do not have, no matter what anybody says, we do not have persecution happening in this country yet. But you know it's going to come. I mean, nobody's being abducted for their faith. Nobody's being imprisoned or tortured. Nobody's having their house burned to the ground or torn completely down to its foundation because they're a believer. Nobody's dragged off their motorbike or from their car and beaten with clubs just because they're a Christian. It's happening in other countries, but not here. I mean, there's a, uh, uh, I, I read a story, it was, it was back in April. There was, I, I'm always reading, you know, different accounts of persecution. There were, there was an 80, I think it was an 83-year-old Catholic nun that was in uh, serving in is it Burko, Burkina Faso. Who said that? Yeah, Burkina Faso that was abducted. And I've been praying every day for her. Protection, safety, release. I mean, I can't imagine what she must be going through. And that's happening more and more. Nigeria is a hot spot for churches and for believers being attacked, being killed, being kidnapped. It's not happening here. But when it does, we need to be ready. And you know how we need to respond? In love and grace, not retribution. And that's hard to do. But that's what Jesus would have us do. That's what love would have us to do. I don't mean don't try to stop it. I'm not saying just accept it. I'm just saying respond to the people. Some of the accounts that I've read of like the people that have been abducted 
or, you know, or have been beaten, you know, by their families or whatever because they've become Christian, you know, and they're just, they're responding in love to those people. It's incredible, the faith and the love that's evident in, you know, in different places in the world. Believe me, when we respond like that, the world will see the difference because the church stands out. We, we, we saw that in the early church when the apostles were beaten and they went away rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer for his name. Can you imagine that? Would we do that? Would we rejoice that we were considered worthy to suffer for his name? Or would we protest that our rights are being taken away? Something to think about. Church that loves. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. A church that loves is a church that cares about the joys and sorrows of those around them, shares the, their victories, shares their pain. They laugh together. They weep together because they genuinely care for each other, not just on Sundays, but every other day of the week as well. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. And a little bit later down it said, you know, in as much as possible, live at peace with all people. Church that loves is a church that gets along. Now, this does not mean that there's never any conflict. That is not a realistic expectation. The early church had conflict. We will have conflict. Every single church does. At any time you have a community of broken people, and we're all broken people, every one of us, Anytime you get broken people together, there's going to be disagreements, there's going to be conflicts, it's inevitable. But a church community where love rules is a community that learns to work through their difficulties. They don't just say, I'm out of here, I'm going down the road. It's a church that learns to work through their difficulties. They're able to live in harmony, not because they always agree, but because they are committed to each other and committed to working through their difficulties. That's a church that loves. Love commits to working through difficulties. My mom and dad were married for 66 and a half years, and it's not because they never fought. It's not because they never argued. It's not because, certainly, it's not because they never had different opinions, but because they loved each other, and they were committed to each other, and they knew how to work through their problems. And believe me, raising five kids, four of whom were, were less than stellar, um, you know, they, <laughs> they had their, you know, their, their difficulties, their challenging times. You're able to do that by believing the best about someone, by learning how to consider so, and listen to and then consider someone else's point of view and what's going on in their life. Sometimes we just need to pause and consider the other person and look at them as a person and look at their life. 
Sometimes we just need to be willing to let some things go. That's what love does. You know, I didn't care for that, but I'm just going to let it go. Because my love is greater than that thing that happened. Sometimes it means letting someone else have their way. Or get this, refusing, refusing to be offended. That's hard to do when you live in a culture of offense and everybody's telling you you should be offended. But by God's grace, it's possible. That's how you live in harmony. And just practicing being nice to people. He says, don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. You know, love doesn't have to be right all the time. Love doesn't have to be top dog above everyone else. Love can let others take precedence. Love doesn't show preference to those that society considers important. It recognizes that every person is created in the image of God, even the person in whom you see the least of God. Every person's been created in his image. Every person has value. We all come to the cross on level ground. I'm out of time, but I want to close by just reading this passage part we've just gone through again. And then I have one more scripture to add from Paul's letter to the Romans. So with all I just said, listen again. Love must be sincere. Hate what's evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. When the world sees a church like that, they will know those are disciples of Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. They may not agree. They may not hold the same faith or view that we do. But they'll know there's no mistaking it. They're like that because they're followers of Jesus. One more verse from Romans 13.10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Church community who lives like that... It's going to stand out as different. It's going to be evident to everybody that they're disciples and followers of Jesus.
Lord, may every church in this community be like that. That this community would know that you are in our midst and that we are followers of you. Let's be that church. Let's be known for that kind of love. Let it be known that when someone asks, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to the vineyard or, you know, whatever. That, you know, oh, yes, I know. I, I've heard about you people. You people really love not just your friends, but others as well. Let that be our reputation in the community. That's my prayer. That is my prayer. Let's stand. <clears throat> Receive this benediction, this blessing. May the Lord Jesus Christ send you the gift promised by the Father and baptize you in His Holy Spirit. May the love which God pours into your life continually flow out of you to those around you. May you see His power loosed in your life to serve and benefit others. May He lead you into divine appointments and show you what He is doing and what He is inviting you into. Now let's go and be the church, a church that's known as people who love. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next.